0: All right, can you hear me? A little feedback here. Well, good morning, Cerritos Baptist. Morning. It's so great to be here. I tell you, this is a homecoming for me. Uh, when Pastor Eric asked me if I want, if I was available and wanted to preach uh, Sunday morning here, I said yes, yes. And I replied back to him right away. And Pastor Eric's like, "Wow, that was really quick." <laughs> so it's uh, such a joy and such a blessing to be here. This is my church family. Twenty years ago, twenty years ago, and I'm so excited and so glad to be with you, all of you, each of you this morning. The last time I spoke from this pulpit was actually 20 years ago. 20 years, you think about that, that's two decades. That's a very, very long time. And for myself and my family, a lot has happened since the last time I spoke here. Our oldest, Maddie, was only several months old. She's now currently a sophomore at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. We added three more children since then. Robbie, he just graduated West High. He will be attending UCLA. Eric? And uh, he's been blessed to make the, uh, the band there. And so if you see a shorter Asian guy playing a saxophone on the field, that will be my son. And I have a son, Bennett, who will be a freshman at West High. And my youngest is Trenton, and he's a seventh grader. At that time, Jenna was teaching at North High while we were attending Cerritos Baptist and serving. And since then, Jenna has moved up the ladder in education. She's now the principal at West High. And so since then I've planted a church and I've merged a church, and now I've been pastoring for over 20 plus years. Now, 20 years ago, just to kind of help you connect where we were, the price of gas back then, can you believe this it was only 50 cents a gallon? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a buck fifty. $1.50. Oh, weren't those the good old days? And now we're paying close to $6 a gallon. The Lakers had just completed three-P championship shack and the late, great Kobe Bryant. The cost of a, now get this, the cost of a two-park premium annual Disneyland pass was only 199 bucks. And that included premium parking. And now it's $1,399 for the same thing. Unbelievable. For you Star Wars fans, Star Wars two, The Attack of the Clones premiered, so I don't know if that's good news or bad news, depending on what side of the fence that you're on. And then get this, Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl championship, defeating the St. Louis Rams. And that man is still playing football 20 years later. (laughs) Unbelievable. 20 years can fly by rather quickly. And 20 years can also seem very long and painful, especially if we have unresolved issues. And our main characters this morning had a huge unresolved issue that lasted for 20 years. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at one of the most bizarre interactions in the entire Bible. And why was it so bizarre? It involved an unknown man, later identified as God, wrestling for hours with our main character this morning. Who was God wrestling with? His name was Jacob. Jacob, also known as the heel catcher, notoriously known as the deceiver. Now, not only only was the bizarre part that God wrestled with Jacob, but even the most bizarre part about the story, that the victor wasn't God. It wasn't God. That God declared Jacob to be victor. He was declared the winner. Can you believe that? Later, you will discover this morning that the pastors say that Jacob prevailed over the Lord. Prevailed. He won. What? How can the Almighty God, the Creator of heavens and the earth, all powerful God, lose to such a wretched and vile man known as the Deceiver? So you may be asking, well, what does all this mean? And how does God wrestling with Jacob and losing to him apply to our lives today? So if your Bibles open up to Genesis chapter 32, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 32. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 to 32. And before we get started, let me go ahead and open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You You're so good. You're God who wrestles with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds this morning to hear you, to hear your Holy Spirit through your word, That your word does us cut deep into our hearts, fill us with conviction, but also grace and truth, that you would continue to transform our hearts and our minds into the likeness of your son. So Lord, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, Lord, meet us there. Meet us there and grab a hold of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now let's go ahead and start out with verse uh, uh, 22 from Genesis chapter 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fjord of Jabok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Now let's catch up to speed in this narrative this morning. Jacob was on the journey back to his homeland to be with his father Isaac, whom he hadn't seen in over 20 years. Now why did Jacob go back? God had instructed him to return home to see his elderly father Isaac because he was dying. See, 20 years later, with nothing but a shirt on his back, Jacob had ran away from home. And out of mere survival, Jacob had to run away because he stole his twin brother Esau's birthright and blessing. And because of this, Esau vowed a retaliation that he was going to kill Jacob. Now, Jacob knew that for, in order for him to return home, he had to pass through Edom. And Edom was where Esau had settled. Jacob knew that waiting for him, Esau had 400 of his men ready, ready to give him a warm welcome. Well, we don't know that, but he was expecting the worst. In order to survive, Jacob knew he had to reconcile with him. With this, Jacob planned to send livestock, gifts, and some of the servants as a way to broker peace with his brother. Now, by giving abundant and lavish gifts to Esau, Jacob was trying to gain his favor. He was trying to buy Esau's favor. He wasn't really trusting in God. But as a result, Jacob was facing a tremendous amount of fear and trepidation. Not only was he fearing for his own life, but he is anxious for the safety and fear of his four wives and his numerous children. He was stressed about what Esau may do to them. He was fearful, anxious, and stressed, as he may not only be killed, but his wives and children will be killed or taken as slaves. Fear, anxiousness, and stress. All we have to do has have lived through the past three years with covid mass shootings, political unrest, and our country's inflation, fear, anxious, and stress could easily describe our lives today. Fear, anxiousness, and stress has controlled my life for a long period of time, especially after I was married, had four kids, and started passing to church. Not that any of those things were bad, they were blessings. But before all these wonderful experiences in my life, the reality was when I started attending Sirius Baptist, I didn't have anybody else except for myself. I was a single guy staying late out at night and doing all these wonderful single guy things. And I was a happy, easy going, just good natured guy, you know, and it's like, wow, that's so great. But the thing was, all I had to do back then was just think about myself. And then for the past 20 plus years, I've had additional people who I love, whom I'm responsible for. Jenna, my kids, my siblings, and my church. And when you're leading, it can be very fearful. And I can be very anxious and stressed. See, so you think about Jacob. For the majority of his early life, he, all he lived for was himself. But now Jacob could no longer live purely for himself. He was responsible for the lives of other people and all of us when we're responsible for other people, we can identify with Jacob's anxiety. Now, having sent his loved ones ahead and his servants ahead, right in the middle of his fear and trepidation, something incredible occurred. Let's look at the next two verses. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket And Jacob's hit was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now an unknown man, an assailant, just appeared and started wrestling with him. Where did he come from and who was this unknown man? Was it a dream? Was it it something that he just imagined? Or was it an actual physical encounter? It was real. It was real. The man wrestling with Jacob didn't overpower him. He didn't prevail over him. And then he struck and touched Jacob's hip, dislocating it, taking it out of its socket. Jacob's hip popped out of his socket, popped out of joint. And what a painful experience it was for Jacob. Yet he persevered. As they continued to wrestle, the man said this. Let's look at the next verse, verse 26. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Even with a painfully dislocated hip, Jacob didn't relent. And he wouldn't relent until he did what? Until the man gave him a blessing. The man, desiring to leave before the sun was rising because the sun would reveal his face and possible identity, struggled to be free, this man, this mystery man. And Jacob held on tight to this mysterious man, and he wouldn't let him go. And even though Jacob was in extreme pain, he didn't give up. He wouldn't relent. He wouldn't give up his grip. But what was happening in this bizarre passage? This encounter wasn't a sign of Jacob's superior strength. It was a sign of his desperation. See, Jacob was weeping and pleading that this man wouldn't go until he received this man's blessing. He wouldn't receive God's blessing. Jacob was devoid of all of his strength and determination and self-reliance. Jacob was weeping and crying. Hosea even testified this in chapter 12, 12, verse 4. Jacob was a broken man, but he was holding on for his dear life. And you think about this. Jacob, the deceiver... Jacob, the conniver, Jacob, who lived selfishly his entire entire life, desperately held on to this man. Jacob wasn't winning the wrestling match. He was pleading. He was crying. He was begging for a blessing. Jacob recognized that he couldn't continue to live the way that he was living. His life was completely out of his control. How does this relate to us? God at times allows challenges and situations out of our control so that he can remake us. See, God often breaks us while he remakes us. God often breaks us while he remakes us. And God challenges us to grow. He challenges us through the struggle of life, through when we're desperate, when we have no control no resources. In that struggle... God is challenging us. God challenges us to grow. But notice who instigated the wrestling match. Was it Jacob? No, it was the man. God wrestles with us, and we need to wrestle with him. We need to wrestle with him because at times we're so comfortable living our lives, that are completely out of control. Something happens and everything just blows up. A cancer diagnosis, a heart attack, a job loss. Our kids who were once so good attending uh, high school fellowship and they go into college and they start to struggle with drugs or sex and, and all these things. And life is out of our control. And life just suddenly blows up. Pastor Tim Keller said this, Christianity doesn't give you what you want. It is more like an explosion that destroys everything you had to make a way for something new. Christianity doesn't give you what it wants. It's more like an explosion that destroys everything you had to make way for something else. In the past 20 years, I have wrestled with God. I wanted God to do things my way. Over 20 years ago, when we were getting ready to plant Generations Church, I met with Pastor Barry and Pastor Gary. But I remember 20 years ago, I met with Pastor Barry in his back office here. And I presented to him my church vision of Generations Covenant Church. And in that church vision was not only my mission statement, my vision statement, but it was my future organizational chart. I had on that organizational chart five to ten pastors underneath me. And on that organizational chart, I had everything laid out. The plans to have a minimum of 1,500 people within five to ten years. And I can't imagine what Barry's response was. He's so supportive and loving, he probably just chuckled inside and said, this guy doesn't get it, does he? You know? The reality was, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And I struggled as a pastor. I struggled when people arrived and then suddenly they would just leave. And I struggled when you reach out to people and you love on them. And you see this transformation, but then something happens in their lives, and they take off. And I took that personally. I wrestled with God through all of this, and the problem was is that when I saw my church struggling, it was a day-to-day, weekly grind. And I saw these other pastors who had started right around the same time, their churches, and they were growing astronomically, astronomically. And I wrestled with God and why not, why not me? Why not me? What is wrong with me? And I became envious because of their success. See, for the past 20 years, I had to cling to God. And in this process of desperately clinging to God, God humbled me. He didn't give me what I wanted. He gave me what I needed. And What do I mean? As Jacob was desperately clinging to this man, something mysterious happens again. Let's look at the next verse, verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And you're thinking, this is interesting that this man asked Jacob for his name. The man knew his name. He knew his name was Jacob. He'll catch a deceiver. The man was saying, that's who you were. In a sense, he was saying to, this, to Jacob, this was your identity. But now your new name and your, and your new identity is Israel. Your name is Israel, meaning you have striven with God. Meaning you have contended with God and you have Jacob now knows who this man was. And we know this man as the pre-incarnate Jesus. This was known as a theophany. Jesus momentarily appeared in the flesh. But why? Why would he do this? It's another question to ask, right, as you look at this passage. When you think about this entire bizarre interaction, for some unknown reason, Jesus shows up as a man, a mysterious man, and he begins wrestling with Jacob. They wrestled in the dirt for hours. From the middle of the night to almost sunrise, they were wrestling. That's a long time to wrestle. Have you ever wrestled in high school? you Have done anything strenuous? It's not easy. High school wrestling matches have three two-minute periods where there's a short break in between. That's a lot. But then think about this. I was thinking to myself, well, wait, if this is Jesus, if this is God, why didn't he just show up as Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? Why didn't he just show up as John Cena or even Conor McGregor and just wipe Jacob out because he's such a deceitful person in a matter of seconds? Why did he wrestle with him for hours? Instead, God shows up kind of resembling the body type of Pee Wee Herman, right? And God wrestles with Jacob for hours. But then think about this, think about our faith and think about our God. Jesus, 12 generations later, incarnates himself forever as a common man, never losing his full divinity. The God man, born in scandal. Scriptures say that there's nothing desirable about this man. He had no formal education, he was dirt poor. He gathers a bunch of rebel followers who were misfits. The man socializes with the prostitutes and the tax collector. And all, and all he does is minister among the poor and the outcast. And he infuries the religious authorities. This same God-man heals and forgives people's sins, and people are astounded. This same God-man offers hope to the hopeless. And, and, and for once, people who were rejected and scorned because of their lives and their lifestyles, Because of this God, man, they have a chance. They have a second chance. The same God who heals and forgives people's sins, the same God offers hope to the hopeless, and for once people who were scorned and rejected now have a chance. And Then on a frightful day on the Passover, this man was horribly crucified. And the world and the religious lead and even Satan thought that he prevailed over this God-man. God gave of himself and sacrificed himself. And as the enemy danced on this man's grave in jubilation, thinking they have won, this God-man gave us, us broken, wretched believers, followers, connivers, and liars like Jacob. Not what we wanted, but what we needed. What we needed, salvation. God gave up everything so that we can prevail in him and through him. The big idea for my sermon this morning is God lost so that we can win in him and through him. God lost so that we can win in him and through him. And when Jesus died on the cross, he glorified the Father. The Father was glorified through Jesus' death because it was the ultimate display of God's love for a lost and dying world. The enemy was defeated once and for all so that broken and destitute people can prevail in God and through God. And this is who we are. And even though Jacob prevailed, God still exercised his authority over him by giving him a new name, Israel. And he gave him a new identity. And when we come to Christ, we have this brand new identity brand new identity. And instead of children of the enemy, of the evil one, we become children of God. Our very own heavenly father becomes our daddy, our Abba, our father who intimately knows us and we know him. Let's go on to the next verse, verse 29. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Penuel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. I love this about God, especially God in the Old Testament. Jacob asked God for his name. Trying to exercise maybe some possible authority in that over God? We don't know. But God doesn't give him the name. He doesn't have to. You know, it's interesting, 500 years later, while Moses was in the wilderness, this same God, man, God, uh, Moses asked God, what name do I use to tell the Egyptians who sent me? And God just answered, I am who I am, and i always be. I am who I am, and I'll always be. In the Hebrews, I am who I am, and I will always be. See, God's too powerful and too holy to be confined just to a name. And so what does God do to Jacob? He blesses him. God gives Jacob his divine favor, divine favor, God's favor. And this was the same Jacob 20 years earlier stole his twin brother's blessing and birthright by deceiving their dad. This is the same Jacob that desperately wrestled with God. And through this wrestling, God gave him his favor. And he gave him this blessing. And when you think about this, did Jacob earn this blessing? No. He wasn't entitled to it. He didn't deserve it. Yet Jacob was freely given this blessing. Jacob had to be broken in order for him to fully receive this blessing. This blessing is because of God's grace, God's unmerited favor over our lives. Hebrew words are related to this Is Favor and kindness. said, it means goodness and loyal love. These are all the things about God's grace. But here's the thing. Religious people don't appreciate God's grace. Self-sufficient people don't appreciate God's grace. Why? Because all they do is rely upon themselves. Or they rely upon a little bit of religion to get them by. They attend church, they go to Bible study, do all these things, give money. They have this list of all the things that they do. But did they really, truly know about God's grace? See, we won't fully appreciate God's grace and recognize it until we know how completely broken and desperate we are for it. Everyone needs grace. The self-sufficient reject grace. They have a need for it. They have no need for it. Grace is for the insufficient. Let me repeat that again. The self-sufficient reject grace. They have no need for it. Grace is for the insufficient. How sufficient or insufficient are you? Are you relying upon your own merit, your own good works? Are you relying upon and just saying, yeah, I'm a good enough person? In God's world, it doesn't work that way. And I'm not trying to beat you down with scripture or anything like that, I need us to take an honest look at our hearts and our minds. Because when we come before a holy God, we're all wretched and broken. We're all dirty. And our hearts reveal that. And we hide behind religiosity. And Jesus says, no, that's not what it is. In order to fully appreciate the grace of God, we need to be broken of our self-sufficiency. In order for us to fully appreciate that, Pastor Scott Saul said this, Abundance can be appreciated only when seen in contrast to the world's scarcity, blessings to the world's curses, newness to the world's decay, or joy to the world's sorrows. The light of day is welcome when experienced in contrast to the dark of night, the rush of victory to the agony of defeat, or the pleasures of leisure to the toils of hard work. See, our lives are always struggling, and we always want comfort and control. That's never guaranteed in our lives. And we have to go through these day-to-day struggles when life is out of our control. We have to face the adversary. We have to face these challenges. Otherwise, we wouldn't appreciate the blessings and grace that God has given us. I'm a huge Dodgers fan. Huge. Ever since I was little, I used to listen to Vince Scully, and I'll tell you how old I am, on the transistor radio. 790 KABC, you had a little Sony or Panasonic yellow transistor radio. I listened to Vince Kelly. My wife's like, didn't you watch TV back then? I said, like, no, they were never on television. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we had to listen to them on the radio all the time. And I remember when they won the 1988 series, and I was so overjoyed. And then we went through this long spout of 32 years of going to the playoffs and everyone say the Dodgers are going to win it and heartbreak after heartbreak. And then you watch the dreaded San Francisco Giants win five titles at that time. It was just painful. But then the COVID year happens. 2020, guess what? The Dodgers finally win the World Series in over 32 years. And I'm sorry, but I started to cry when I saw that. I started to cry. My daughter and I were just jumping up and down, we were hugging each other, and we were so happy for Clayton Kershaw and all those guys who came short, who didn't win the big chip. And that's what made it so beautiful. That's what made it so rewarding because of the struggle. That's what made it so worth it to see these guys victorious. And when the Rams won the Super Bowl 2022 too, that was awesome, right? That was great. Especially if you're a long-time Rams fan like I was when they would be defeated by the Vikings and the Cowboys every year. We could never win that. And we finally go and play the Pittsburgh Steelers and they beat us. And then guess what happens? They go to St. Louis and they win the stupid Super Bowl. That is not right. But it's those struggles that make these joys and these victories in our lives so, so worth. We have a sister at our church who has advanced cancer. She grew up Buddhist, but then she came to Christ because of our church and Pastor Rick, the relationship that they built together. And she struggles day to day. And we just pray for her, and we try to help her as much as we could. And she was hurting, and she was down. But every time she goes through her treatment, somehow she feels better. That it wasn't as bad as she thought it would be. And she tells us pastors, I'm blessed, and I'm overjoyed because of God's favor in my life. I'm like, I want that. I want that joy. Jacob called this location Pinwell, meaning I have seen God face to face, meaning he recovered me, he rescued me. Jacob was desperate, he clung to life, and God recovered and rescued him. Let's close with this verse. The sun rose up, Upon, rose up upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel did not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. The sun rose. The God-man left. Jacob walked away with a limp. He was limping. His hip was dislocated, and he was never the same. And even though Jacob would forever walk with a limp, His dislocated hip and that slight pain was a constant moment-by-moment reminder of how he had striven with God and received God's favor and blessing. Jacob, now Israel, his new name, his new identity was a changed man. And even though he walked with a limp, he had joy in his heart because he had striven with God and God gave him not what he wanted, but what he needed, his favor and his blessing. And many times we have to walk through the darkness to enjoy the light of day. We have to recognize our own misery and our own sinfulness and our own wretchedness to truly appreciate the grace and what Christ has done for us. And many of you who are seated here, many of you who go to this church have encountered God through the worst moments of your life. You face pain, you face rejection, you face suffering and loss. And some of you, very deep, personal, painful loss. Yet by the grace of God, what do you do? You continue not on your own strength, but God's grace. And you walk like Jacob with the limp. I want to close with this. I completely identify with Jacob. I'm not worthy. And if you really look at my heart, I'm a wretched, broken man. You can see my sinfulness. All you have to do is ask Jenna and the kids, and they're like, yeah, Dad, well, let me tell you about him, you know? For the past 20 years, I, too, have wrestled with God, and I still struggle to this day with anxiety and some depression. I still worry. I try to take things under my control. I still try to solve people's problems. And 10 years ago, out of desperation, out of desperation and depression, I couldn't pasture anymore. I just I just had enough. And my wife kept kind of just pulling me out of this hole that I dug for myself. I started Christian therapy, I started Christian counseling. So I have all these issues from my past. And it was affecting my relationship with Jenna, and it was affecting my relationships with my kids. Because I had a really bad anger issue. But I still walk with a limp. And ten years later, every Monday morning. I'm there with my Christian counselor at times wrestling with God. And as we pack these issues of my life, issue after issue, my stress, uh, my, my wrestling with God isn't as frequent as it once was, but I still walk with a limp. For the past three years, I'll be honest with you, COVID hasn't been kind to our church. Our in-person attendance has dropped and we had several disgruntled people leave for greener pastures. That's when the enemy comes in because then the enemy starts to make you doubt yourself. What's wrong with you? Why couldn't you keep them? And the enemy starts to come in and say, look at that other church that they're going to. They're doing much better than you. But I have to put those things away. I have to put them aside. I have to ask God to protect my heart and mind because through God's grace and his unmerited favor, we strive ahead. But now I'm learning to enjoy life without worrying so much. I still have these issues when good things are happening. You ever feel that? It's like, oh, this is wonderful. And then you start to think, well, oh, this is going to end. What's going to happen after it ends? Why does it have to end? And you start in the middle of having this joyous time. You're thinking, it's going to end. Right? And it's like, what are you doing, Lon? But God is so good because he rescued me. And you continue to be faithful even when I struggle, even when I start to doubt him, even when I question him. But out of this whole experience, I've grown to love the Lord. I've grown to love the Lord. And what's best is I learned to receive his love and grace even greater. Questions for you this morning as we close. Do you want God's grace and favor? Do you desire it? Do you want it? Are you desperate for it? Ask him. Pray. God give good gifts to those whom he loves. And wrestle for it with him. Be desperate for it. Quit being self-sufficient and so religious. God will give you what you need, not what you want. God lost so that we can win in him and through him. Seek him. And he will bless your life with incredible grace and mercy. Let's pray.